right. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. It's a little cold outside. December. I don't know. The weather has been really weird. It's been like up and down recently, but I hope everyone's staying safe and warm and drinking on their hot drinks right now. Um, it is a rare occasion for me to preach. I think I only preach about like three or four times a year, but when I do get an opportunity to preach, I'm going to preach on worship, okay? So today, we're going to be talking about worship too. Um, but before I begin that, I want to ask a couple of questions. Uh, it is the Advent season, which is the Christmas season, right? So when you think of the Christmas season, what do you think of? Just picture it in your mind right now. What do you think of when you think of the Christmas season? If you have trouble coming up with stuff, I can just close your eyes and I'll, I'll lay it out for you. Um, do you think of a perfect Christmas tree with perfect lights and like the right amount of ornaments? Like too many ornaments, it's too tacky, too little ornaments, it's too like bare, right? Or do you think of like a fireplace with stockings and gifts? Do you think about snow? A lot of people associate Christmas with snow. Do you think about family time, like family traditions that you had with your family? Or in Korea, I know Korea is not really a, Christmas is not really a family holiday, it's more like a couple's holiday. Do you think about going on dates with your uh, significant other or whatever? Or when you think about Christmas, <laughs> do you think about the songs that accompany it? Do you think about, like, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? Do you think about that? Do you think about, uh, I don't know, the, the song that always gets me, the one that I actually do not like is the one by Paul McCartney. It's like, he's, he's like very slightly out of tune. Magic, wonderful Christmas time. It's like very, I don't know. I don't like that one that much, but I always associate it with Christmas because it's always played at like the cafes and stuff. Uh, maybe you associate Christmas with these songs, or maybe you even think about the presents that you'll get. Oh, I have to give people presents. I have to get, this is what I want, right? So you, if you guys know me, you better get me this, right? Whatever. Um, and speaking of gifts, when you think of the perfect Christmas gift, what do you think of? Is it something that's expensive? something that's practical, something that's sentimental, or all three, right? <laughs> um, but in asking these questions, I want us to think of something else. When you were thinking about the, the season of Christmas or about the perfect Christmas gift, did any of you think about worship? Okay, a couple yeses. I know I did. I know, I know what you're thinking. It's like, oh, yeah, well, this is what we pay you to do. You're the worship pastor. You're supposed to think about worship, right? No, but I'm actually not thinking about that kind of worship. I'm thinking about uh, my story. And um, around Christmas time, on Christmas Day, actually, as a pastor's kid, <laughs> okay, I know I start a lot of negative stories like this as a pastor's kid, and then something ne negative comes after. And this is that kind of story. But I promise there are positive memories also. But as a pastor's kid, I grew up in a home where we were very religious, right? So on Christmas Day, I would wake up at 7 a.m., and I would go downstairs and open my presents, right? No, that's not what happened. I actually woke up at 7 a.m., I got ready for church. 8 a.m., we went to church. We would practice, like, choir songs. And then at 10 a.m., we would have a service for two hours. So two-hour service, we would sing the Christmas songs, we would hear a message, and then we would go home, and then we would open the presents. Actually, no, we didn't open the presents. Then after, actually, we went home and had a family Christmas service worship. 
right? So I know very holy, right? No, but actually I was a very um, not holy kid. I actually wanted what every other kid wanted during Christmas, which was to wake up at 7 a.m., open presents, open that gift that I really wanted, that PS3 or whatever what I, when I wanted was really young. So why, my question when I was growing up is why couldn't I have a normal Christmas? Normal, quote-unquote, normal. But if we look at the story of Christmas from the Bible, the story is actually surrounded by worship. Worship's, uh, worship happens all the time around Jesus' birth, right? When you think about Mary, when she even gets the word about Jesus being born to her as a virgin, she, she praises God. She, there's, there's a song called Mary's Song, and, and she praises God for being good to her, for looking uh, with uh, grace upon her, for having this blessing to have a baby, right? And then when we think about the shepherds that come, they worship Jesus and they worship God on the way out. And we think about the wise men that come, they worship Jesus. So all these instances of worship around Christmas time. And I think I say this every time I preach about worship, but the definition of worship is that worship is a response to a revelation that God gave, right? So if you're taking notes today, the gift of joyful worship is the title of my sermon today. The gift of joyful worship. And we're going to be reading from Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you open your Bibles with me to Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'll read this for us. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Ascertain means like found out specifically what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But wait, there's myrrh, right? And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. So if we look at this passage, this Christmas story that we see here in Matthew 2, the, actually the story about Jesus' birth only appears twice in the Bible, and, and twice in, in, in two of the Gospels. And the first one is in Matthew, and the second one is in Luke. Uh, Mark and John, they just start right away with Jesus' ministry. So 
if we look at these two different uh, accounts of Jesus' birth, uh, there are a couple of things that we can see from this version that's different from the Luke version. We're not going to read the Luke version, but I'll just give you a couple differences. The first thing that's different about this account than Luke's version is that this happens after Jesus was born. Now, what does that mean? So if we look at verse 1, it says, now after Jesus was born. It doesn't say now when Jesus was born, right? So we can actually guess that this happens a couple of months or even a couple of years after Jesus is born. And if you look at verse 11, even, it says, and going into the house. Remember, if you look at the Luke version, he's in a manger, right? So he's go- they're going into a house and not a manger. So Jesus at this point is not a young child, but he's, or he's not a baby, but he's probably a young child around this age. So if we also look at this account versus the Luke account, there's a big difference of who comes to worship Jesus. In the Luke account, we see shepherds, right? They're actually very neglected. Shepherds are is not a good job to have in the Jewish community. I'm, I'm sure it's not that great either today. But if you're a shepherd, you're actually an outcast. You're very smelly. First of all, sheep are not very clean animals. So you're very smelly. You're probably outcast from the people. It's not a, actually a good job to have. Versus the Magi, right? The Magi are people that came, the wise men came, and they have these expensive gifts. They have, they're from a higher class. So if we look at this, Jesus came first to the shepherds, or the shepherds found out first, and then the Magi, the poor first, and then the rich. And he came to Israel first. The shepherds were of Jewish descent, and then it was for the foreigner, the Magi, right? So there's a difference between who this target audience is for. And finally, the question that comes up is, what is a magi? What is a wise man? So if you look at this statement, it says wise men came from the east. But originally it says magi from the east came. And the word magi comes from the Greek magoi, which is a class of philosophers or astrologers in the old times. And the example that is given in the Bible and later is in Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Simon the Magician. And in the Greek, he's actually Simon the Magoi, or the, the, the person who is in the same class as this one. So we can assume that they are pretty like well-off, because Simon was actually a well-off person. He actually offered money. He bribed the disciples to, to have that kind of Holy Spirit power, right? But the point is that these magi are people that look to the stars. They look to uh, philosophy. They, they came from the East as well which means they came from not Judah, it's Judea itself, but from bordering countries, sometimes the enemies of Judah that, that took the people of Judah captive or Judea captive. And so they actually know the history of Israel. And that's why they come, and that's why they're able to hear of the king of the Jews, right? In verse 2 it says, Where is he born king of the Jews? And one thing we have to layout is that it was actually a popular belief during this time, uh, during the Roman Empire, that actually there would be a man or a Messiah, a powerful figure that would come out of Israel. There was a historian by the name of Suetonius and another one by name Tacitus. They say this, there had spread over all the Orient, which is the East, an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Okay, so this is a popular belief, even in the Roman world, that someone from Jude, 
Judah from Judea would rule the world, right? And we can assume that it comes from actually the Hebrew text itself. And the one that is always about this portion of scripture comes from Numbers 24. It says, I see him, but not now. Talking about a prophecy. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Sarah, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. So we see that these wise men, these magi, they know the scriptures of Israel as well, right? They put this the star suddenly appeared out of nowhere, and then they were like, oh, wait, there's a verse about a star that's going to come out of Egypt. So they put two and two together, and they said, hey, let's go on this journey to see if this is true, right? One thing that I kind of want to lay out there, might blow your mind, I know. Um, how many wise men do you think came? Three is the popular opinion. Do you think it's the right opinion? Okay, let's look at the verse again. It says, Behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So it doesn't actually tell us how many. It doesn't tell us how many wise men came, but everyone assumes it's three because of the gifts that they gave, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. There were three gifts, so there must have been three wise men, right? But actually, the Eastern Orthodox view actually says 12. Another view says two. Another view says they had a company of people. They had so many people with them because they're rich and they had to bring a bunch of people with them. So there's actually not a accurate number. And this detail is not important, which we'll go into later. Why is this detail not important? We'll go into later. But uh, you have to leave, leave some room for mystery, right? Okay. The important thing that I want to point out regarding the Magi is not how many there were, but how they worshiped Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to point out three things, three observations about how these wise men worshiped the Lord in this passage and one reason why. So normally sermons are given opposite. They, you start with the why and then you go into the how, but today I'm going to preach backwards to you. Three observations, how and one reason why. Okay, so the first reason, how, or sorry, the first observation, how. Number one, they sought to worship him. They sought to worship him. They wanted to worship him, in other words, right? They had a desire in their hearts to worship him. I don't know if you remember, if you weren't there uh, at the retreat, Alan Hood said in his first sermon that God also wants to be wanted. He's not the, we're not the only ones that want to be wanted. God wants to be wanted as well, right? He wants to be desired. And this is clear in the Bible. It says in Deuteronomy 4, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. In Proverbs 8, it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. And then in Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All this to say that Jesus, that God wants to be wanted, right? He wants to be sought out. But there are some stumbling blocks to seeking God out to seeking to worship God, right? There are some stumbling blocks. If we look at the story, there are two other types of people, not the wise men, not the magi, that 
are stumbling blocks to seeking God. The first one is the priests and the scribes. And they represent indifference. So see, the priests and the scribes, they were supposed to be experts of the Old Testament, or they would just say the the scriptures because our Old Testament is their scriptures. So the priests and the scribes, they were experts in knowing everything, every prophecy, every law that was written in in the Hebrew Bible. Yet, when it came for the baby to be born, and when they hear the wise men come and saying, oh, we heard about the king of the Jews being born, what do they do? They give the information, and then they go on as if nothing happened, right? That's indifference. They have all the information. They have all the knowledge in here, but then they go about as if nothing happened. So that's the first roadblock to worship. The second one is hostility, and hostility is represented by King Saul in this, right? In verse 3, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was he troubled? Well, if you are the king, and someone else comes and says, where is the king? Directly to your face. <laughs> well, you're probably going to feel threatened, right? And this is actually very in line with his character, in line with the person that we knew Herod to be, because it says, in the, the right after it says, all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why is all Jerusalem troubled with him? Because they're afraid of what he's going to do. They're afraid of his wrath. I'll give you a short bio about what he, uh, who he was. Um, King Herod was actually not a Jew. He was actually an Edomite, which is uh, an, an enemy of Ju- Judah right next to it. And he was culturally born into a Jewish family. Um, so he wasn't actually from a Jewish line, but he adopted Judaism. And he was set as a vassal king or like a a king that was appointed by the Roman emperor to represent him. So because he's not of the people, but he wanted to be a good king, he did a lot of things. He actually did a a lot of good things. He built a lot of uh, different buildings, and he was actually known as an architect, and he actually helped rebuild the second temple. Um, But he was also very vicious. When he felt threatened by people, he would kill them, basically. So... He actually was known for killing his wife and his three sons. So in line with his character, when we see that Herod is like, oh, there's a a king of, of the Jews is born. We see that he is hostile towards that king, right? He's not seeking to worship that king. He's seeking to save himself. So we see hostility. So these two things, indifference and hostility, they actually come from the same root, Interest in not seeking to worship the Lord, but interest in seeking to worship yourself. They want to protect their own power and their own influence. But on the other hand of that, we see that the Magi, they sought to worship him. And when they sought to worship him, how did they worship him? They found him and they worshiped him. Point two, they worshiped him with great joy. Let's look at verse 10 again. Verse 10 says this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a lot of joys, right? (laughs) It's not just one joy. They rejoiced. They didn't just rejoice. They rejoiced exceedingly. 
but they didn't just rejoice exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So it's like four times joy. Why is Matthew emphasizing this so much? Well, why are they joyous? Let's look at that first. When they saw the star, right, the star that led them. It's actually not a natural phenomenon that guides them to Jesus, right? When they see the star, it appears when Jesus is born. And when they get close, it kind of disappears and they have to go ask. Um, they, but once they see that, uh, they ask the king and the scribes where, where it is, the star reappears. And it guides them to the place where Jesus is. Uh, in verse 9 it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. A more literal translation of this is, stood over the head of the child. So the star stood over the head of the child. Well, Spurgeon actually says it this way. We believe it to have been a luminous appearance in midair, probably akin to that which led the children of Israel through the wilderness which was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Whether it was seen in the daylight or not, we cannot tell. So he's comparing this phenomenon of the star to God's presence in the Old Testament. Right? This star was not a natural thing that came up. It was a supernatural work of God. And out of this supernatural work of God comes supernatural joy. Right? A few characteristics about their joy. It came with hope. When you think about hope, there's no joy with no hope, right? As Christians, we're supposed to be a, a people of hope. In fact, P Apostle Paul commands it in Romans 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope. Joy comes with hope. Joy also comes with perseverance. It helps us persevere. Hebrews 12, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we think about joy, it comes with perseverance. It comes, it's actually the thing that guides us through perseverance, but it's also the thing that is waiting for us at the end of the perseverance. When you think about the long journey that the Magi had to take, they came from the east. It's not an easy journey just to hop on a, a train or a, a plane or something like that. Now we do. Uh, uh, that's what we do today, right? We just hop on a plane or a train or a car. But they had to ride a camel for months and months, and they had to come all the way here. Why did they make such a journey? Because of the joy that they had, because of the hope that they, they had in seeing the baby Jesus, right? And finally, joy comes with, sacrifice in philippians 2 17 it says e but even if i am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith i am glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me it comes with sacrifice which leads me to my final point which is point three they worshiped him with costly gifts with costly gifts as an outpouring of their joy as an outpouring of the, the exuberance that they felt, they gave him things that cost them. They sacrificed, right? They didn't just desire to worship him. So it's good to have a desire. Uh, 
they didn't just worship him with joy, but they gave him costly gifts. Essentially, they put their money where their mouth was. And many believe that the tradition of giving gifts actually comes from this Bible tradition. So you can thank the Magi for getting socks on Christmas Day. Um, but if we examine the gifts that they gave, they were costly. But looking back on the gifts that they gave, there's actually importance and meaning to what they gave as well. Now, I mentioned earlier that it didn't matter how many Magi there were. There were we don't know how many there were. There could have been 200. There could have been two. But... Matthew gives us the detail of what exactly they gave. Why is this important? Well, let's go into it. So they gave gold. They gave frankincense. They gave myrrh. Okay, I know you guys know what gold is. I probably don't know what frankincense and myrrh are, so we're going to go into it. Gold was fit for royalty. Gold represents Jesus, you're my king. Frankincense, it's a resin that comes from a sap of a tree. And it was used in the temple by priests for sacrifices. It's like a great incense, right? So frankincense represents Jesus. You are my priest. And finally, myrrh. It also is a sap from a tree, but it can be turned into an ointment. And it was used to anoint dead bodies before their burial. So myrrh is saying, Jesus, you are my eternal sacrifice. So these three things, Matthew is trying to make a point here by saying these three things are more important. The gifts are more important than how many magi came, right? The fact that these costly, that these expensive gifts were given and these meaningful gifts were given to Jesus are more important than whether there were 200 magi or two magi, right? John Piper puts it this way. The gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself. In much the same way that fasting is. We just came out of a season of fasting, right? When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I have not come to you for your things, but for yourself. And this desire I now intensify and demonstrate by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not things. By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. These gifts are costly. But for sinners like us, for you and me, it's easy for generosity, for an overflow of joy. It's, quickly, it's easy to quickly turn into obligation or compulsion. I need to. I have to. I'm just speaking from experience, right? So the example that I give is every month I pay a tithe. But is it because I do it out of love for God, out of dependence on God? God, you are my treasure. Or is it because, oh, the Bible tells me so, right? What are our motivations for giving? Hopefully you are a cheerful giver because God loves cheerful givers. Hopefully you're saying, God, this offering is for you because you are more important than this thing to me. Whether that's money, whether that's gold, whether that's whatever the Magi gave, whether that's time or sacrifice, right? The Magi gave these costly gifts to worship him with great joy. 
they wanted, they desired, they sought out to worship Jesus. And this is how they worshiped. But why did they do this? Why? We have to dig a little deeper because the why is not intrinsic in the passage. It's not directly there. So why did they desire to worship? Why did they do it so joyfully? And why did they give? There's something magical about seeing a baby, right? A lot of people, or whether you love or don't like babies, there's something that's magical about seeing a baby being born or like even a baby because it's something that we can't control, right? I don't, I don't know how I'm going to react when my baby is born, hopefully with joy. But that's not the reason why these magi came. It's not because there was a baby being born. It's not that they saw this baby Jesus who hadn't done anything yet, right? All he did was eat, sleep, poop, repeat, rinse, repeat, right? It's not that they saw this baby and they were like, wow, the, the, the majesty of life or anything like that. They saw hope in him. Hope. The Magi's journey began with a prophecy and a star. They had hope that the prophecy about a baby being born to rule the earth were true. They had hope that the baby that they laid eyes on was the Messiah, right? They had hope that the promises that God gave were being fulfilled in the baby. Hope is the link between the past, the present, and the future. The promise of the past being brought to life in the present into the promise of the future. But what are the promises? We kind of went into a few of the promises earlier about Jesus, that a star will come out of Jacob. What else? If the scribes and priests in Jerusalem that King Herod had asked to know the location of his birth, if they had read a little bit further in Micah, it talks about Bethlehem, but then in verse 4 it says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. The Magi knew that it wasn't just for the Jewish people. The Magi knew that it was for all people. To the ends of the earth. And then in Isaiah, another promise. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. See, the Magi had hoped that this baby would be who God said he'd be, God with us. The good news is that these things were fulfilled in Christ, right? Living on this side of the cross, living on this side as, as us today, as we look back, these things were fulfilled in Christ. He came to be the Savior. Yeshua, Jesus, that means Yahweh saves. He came to be the Savior. He lived a sinless life and died a death of a sin a sinner for our sins he was emmanuel god with us and he even promised to be with us after he left right matthew 28 and behold i am with you always to the end of the age he is the high priest he intercedes on our behalf even today he is the good shepherd he leads us to still waters to green pastures he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death he's the one that tore the veil that allows us to worship the way that we do today. You see, this is the gift of Jesus. I know this is so cliche. Stick with me. The gift of Jesus is actually God's incarnate revelation to us 
in the flesh, incarnate meaning in the flesh, God's promise being made real through a person. And this is the reason why we worship. So again, I ask you, this Christmas, what are you going to think of? Are you seeking to worship? Are you seeking to worship yourself? Oh, I, I, I want to get this gift. Or are you thinking of something greater? Are you seeking to worship the great hope of the world? And where will you find your joy? You know, looking back at my, my story about how I grew up as a pastor's kid, um, I, I really took it for granted. On Christmas Day, I'd wake up and be like, why do I have to go to church and worship? And I was pretty indifferent. I was just like the chiefs, chief priests and the scribes. And actually, I was pretty hostile to even God. I was like, why, God? Why do I have to go? Why do I have to do these things? Why can't I have a normal Christmas? But again, looking back on my experience, I believe that God was instilling in me a value, the value of Jesus. I can only say that after 20 years of learning, it took me 20 years to learn this, but the true value of Jesus is that we get to worship him. And that's the greatest gift that we can get, a greater revelation of who he is. This is the revelation that leads us into a greater joy, a greater worship for him. So my prayer for you in this season is to stay warm, is to stay healthy, but also to have a greater revelation of Jesus, of who he is, of what that means, of why he came. And that will lead you to greater and greater joy. Amen.